Welcome to These Lads on Mental. My name is Gary. And I'm Neil. And our podcast is a lighthearted approach to normalise mental health. Before we start today's show, please listen to our disclaimer. This show is just a group of opinions and is not to be treated as medical advice. If you are struggling with mental health, please speak to your physician or reach out to a service such as Lifeline. Thank you. These Lads are Mental recognises the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the custodians and traditional owners of Sydney. We pay respect to their ancestors and elders, past and present, and value their continuing connection to lands, living culture, and integral contribution to the bright and inclusive future of this beautiful city that we call home. Okay, so we're just going to crack on where we left off, eh? The boys are back in town. Podcast karaoke. So we we uh, finished off the last topic, I believe, was talking about the blah 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 blah. I'm back to yeah, we're still talking about young men, uh, not open about their feelings, etc. So moving on straight into the next question, I think it's the best place just to get stuck straight in. Um, hello everybody, welcome back. Welcome back. Well, hopefully it's just a continuation from our episodes. If you haven't. Fell asleep. Welcome back um, to the, the toilet or wherever you may be <laughs> for the last few minutes on company time. Don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm having a nightmare here. There's a, a motorbike right outside my apartment. It's just going tonto. Um, <laughs> tonto. Right, so... <clears throat> sorry about that. Something caught my throat. You all right there, right, just, let's just, <laughs> make My throat just went at the worst possible time. <laughs> Um, so let's crack on with the next question. So the question we got was, uh, we've, we have touched a little bit on this already, but being concerned about the lack of support for people with mental health battles and discussing ways to um, improve mental health across the board. And again, this person has also mentioned once again about young people uh, with their teens and their peers having mental health. Yeah. Um, it's got a bit of a holistic question. It's like they've asked coping strategies around a busy office. Maybe you can relate to that more because you've worked more in that environment. Uh, support for mental health, which we've touched on, and we can go in a little bit more detail. And then we'll go into that big question at the end, if you can see that in the last column. We can go into that after we discuss everything else, mate. So do you want to kick off for just maybe talk about um, coping strategies around a busy office? Because you've got a, if I remember you spoke, you told a little story about how you, was it given a presentation or something like that in a busy office? Is that right? Um, well, yeah, I was going to say, that with the, the, let's start with the bad news. The bad news is like in terms of support, it's just not there, you know, no matter yeah. what country it is. And whether you're in the UK there, us here in Australia, Western cultures, you think, yeah, we're at the forefront of things. And, it, it, uh, you know, in some areas, in, in some ways we are. And the awareness is getting there and all that. People are starting to talk about it more, which is good. It's heading in the right direction, but still nowhere near what it needs to be mainly because that pathway, as Gary and I already alluded to, like that's not ingrained in our DNA, what we need to do if something's wrong with us. So that in itself just tells you there's not enough being done um, in terms of that support. And also government funding, like we interviewed the guy, the Nick, the CEO of Batir, and only up until I think uh, last year, after our episode, not claiming that we made this happen or anything like that, but they finally got government funding. So, you know, there's a charity that's trying to support mental health and they have to self-fund themselves. So it's like, you know, here's companies trying to actually make a difference and they can't even get government funding. Um, so it is a bit of a challenge for every country. And then you take, um, there's some other 
different cultural backgrounds where mental health is even way, way further back in terms of the stigma. So yeah, there's with the support thing, that's probably the biggest gap that we find with this. Hence why we're doing this podcast, right? If there was enough support there, we would, there would be no need for a podcast such as ours, but say la vie, and this is what we're trying to do. Um, yeah, look, in terms of like a busy office, like my background was in corporate, you know, and I worked in advertising, marketing, PR, all that kind of stuff. Unbelievably toxic, as toxic as you could possibly imagine. Maybe not as much as the Mad Men days, but wasn't far off it, you know, people doing drugs on staff nights in the office, alcohol at the desk and, you know, affairs in the office, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and then I was rocked pretty bad by a bullying thing uh, about five years ago. And I didn't realize at the time, but I was bullied as a kid. And this triggered all this other stuff from when I was back about seven years of age. Now, I didn't know that was happening to me at the time, um, but it was happening right in front of my eyes. And it was the the first time my character was kind of tested um, by this kind of bully in the office. And it really kind of rocked me because, you know, when someone challenges your character going like, you know, that can have a big impact on you. And we had a global company. So then my boss in the US was getting involved and it started. I was like, oh, hang on a second here. Like, what's going on here? I'm just trying to do my best. And he didn't like that. I was just basically questioning some things that he was doing um, and got his back up about it. And then he went for me. And, and as I said, that had never happened to me before because I, everywhere I'd gone, I'd always done well, got promoted, you know, and career-wise and stuff like that. So those things will happen, right? You probably go through life, like to, if you go through life without any of those things happening, I think fair play, you're lucky. Uh, I was probably lucky up into that um, point. But one thing I did, you know, I realized at the end of all that was if you don't resolve traumas from your past, it can come up and bite you at any point you know, in the future. So that's why getting ahead of this and, and going and being proactive about your mental health is only going to last you in the, in the long run. It's going to be hard for a few years. And as you unpack everything and find out about what it is about you and um, that you need to work on. But, you know, I wouldn't change all that for the world, even though it rocked me to my core and I start getting panic attacks and all this kind of stuff. After all that as a, you know, 33 year old man, like which I was kind of got what's going on. So yeah, look, offices can be a tricky place. Bullying, things like that happen a lot. Um, in terms of strategies, I think, you know, having open channels where you can communicate your, your, your fears, your issues and things like that is definitely good. Um, having security and knowing that it's a place where you can be vulnerable, especially as managers, if anyone is a manager there or a leader, to foster that environment that your team can come to you with their concerns be it good or bad i think is a very important thing to do it's not always easy when you have hierarchies because in my case that guy that was the bully was the top dog you know he was the most senior person in the office um, and we had quite a flat matrix you know there was no ceo locally but he was the most senior director that we had so who do you go and tell you know do you go and tell someone in the american office they don't know um, and it was only really by luck that he just chanced his arm too many times that he finally got caught out and then he, he was fired. But that is a challenge, you know? How do you, um, you know, approach things like that, particularly of people of senior positions? And uh, one of the good things about the Me Too campaign and things like that, it has, a bro has brought more awareness and channels for people to, to discuss their problems. So I think fostering that community um, is definitely good. 
Um, when you have a business, as Gary and I know, it's actually quite challenging to shut off. You know, when I think back to my nine to five days, you know, sometimes, you know, I know I was a bit of a workaholic anyway, but when you leave, at least you can leave and you can kind of leave most of your troubles at home. When you're a business owner, that's very different because you carry it into weekends, into nights and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think from a work pr perspective, just having that clear delineation between when you're in work mode and when you're not. So don't look at emails past a certain time at night, you know, try not to look at your phone the minute you wake up in bed because then you get an email about some report you need to do and then that sets you off in a really wrong way. Um, and I think it's, it, it's the same kind of approach that we were talking about social media and going to bed at night. You need to create those barriers with work uh, because if you don't, eventually it's going to catch up with you, you know, and that's going to lead to you being more stressed, more tired, worried all the time. You're going to get, um, you know, bitey with your partner. They're not going to know what's wrong with you and it just can, can snowball from there. So I think having good boundaries is probably my big advice to that. What I took for that, mate, is you're a grass. Can't have you grasped on people. <laughs> no, well, that, that, was part, that was part of the thing. I couldn't I'm a whole joke, mate. No, but I couldn't grasp because I, I was like, what do I do here? You know, do I, if I tell my top dogs, like in America, and then they come over, he's going to know I ratted them out. But I'm on the... Ah, of course, I get it. I'm only, I'm only, only in America. It's like telling, you know, I'm the mafia boss, and then, like, you've got to go, like, and, and work with the same bloke, you know? <laughs> and it was, really, it was the ripple effect. It was... He was a bit of a womanizer as well, like, and he was having a, an affair in the office amongst multiple things. And he used to corner people in the toilet and go, where's that report you're supposed to get me as someone was going for, like, number one. Like, <laughs> yeah. shite, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Over the top of the toilet. Oi, you've been in here too long. Well, that was one of the things he did, actually, which I was sorry, I digress here a little bit, but he put a fake poo on the floor in the toilet one day as a joke and sprayed it with water and then... He came out going, who's that doing all this? <laughs> and it became a thing. Was, it, was, it, was that for banter or was that just to try and... No, like... that, was, that was for banter, yeah, yeah. But the whole office for a day, <laughs> he let it sit. He literally, like, and metaphorically, let it sit for a day and everyone was going around, who was the phantom shitter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but I'm like, this guy was 43 years of age with three Ah, kids. he sounds like a good crack to be He's a fucker. <laughs> No, well, that was uh, like that was the other thing. It was a bit of the Pied Piper stuff. Like when I went in there, he was uh, extremely charismatic. Like he was from London, suave, had all the look and all that, and he could charm the pants off anyone, like myself included. I I fell for his thing, but then yeah. it was just when you you know when you're in work, if you, if you've got anything about you, like if someone asks for your opinion, you go, oh, I don't really agree with that because of why you're just doing your job right. But someone might take offense to that, which he did. He thought I was kind of question his authority. And then it all started to unravel. And it wasn't just me. He was going for all kinds of everybody. Anyone that came shot any uh, fires across him. And that, unfortunately, is the ugly side of corporate life. Um, but, yeah, I mean. I think what I work in a busy office, I mean, obviously you're discussing more the type of, um, if you have got pressures from maybe another staff member or whatever, another aspect of busy office might be if you just need individual space, mental space, and it's hectic. Do you know what I mean? You're in an environment where you can't shut off the noise. I mean, I, I've not worked really in a corporate office where, I mean, is headphones normal? Is, can you just go to a separate space? But I know a lot of them are in cubicles or in sort of open workspaces where the noise can't be avoided sometimes or something, you can't stop someone to come up and asking you a question. That could often be 
probably even more challenging, especially if you get stuff, say you've had a bad morning or you've got some bad news or going through some shit and you know, I need to go to work. I'm trying to get my work done, take my mind off it. And then somebody keeps coming up and asking you for things or, and there's no barrier you can put up to, without saying fuck off or, or mm. showing that you, you can't stay private and to the, the other staff members that you're trying to, you're going through something and you want your own space. That, that's hard to manage because there is boundaries that you people, that's when maybe going to somebody, like you said, a senior and saying, look, this is my situation at the moment. Day to day, it'd be hard because every day there'd be a door getting chapped saying, yeah. oh, it's a shite morning. Any chance yeah. of having a wee bit of private time? That's a nightmare. So it's a hard, it's a hard one to manage, really. Well, there's a, there's a few things. What we used to do, which worked quite well, is we used to have these little red flags. So you could you could pin a little red flag to your to your desk thing, and that was like, don't disturb me, you know? Oh, don't stop yeah. me. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or you can put it in your... Um, I don't know what you guys use there, but we had like Gmail. So you had like your G chat, which would ping all the time, but you could turn that offline. So little things like that you can do. Another tip is if you do need to vent and venting actually is an important part of this, right? There's no point sitting there in your own like pool kind of going, this is shy or that person doing that. What I found useful is if you're in it, if the company, it seems like you guys have quite a bit of staff is like, you might know, dare I say, Karen from accounts or, you know, or someone like that, that you meet you know, in the kitchen once a day for a tea, like they're good, they're good people to have those. Yeah, because especially if they're non-related to your department, let's say you're marketing and they're in accounts, they don't like, it doesn't really matter if you have a vent about someone over that team. And that actually is quite useful. And they, I got some really good, like good throwaway advice from people like that, especially if they're in a senior position, you know, even people like CFOs are usually quite good because they're, uh, you know, quite, I was going to say trustworthy, but you know what I mean? They're quite, um, they're built on strong values, let's say, in, in terms of their rules and stuff like that. Like, you know, people like that, you can actually befriend and get some, almost like a kind of an in-office in mentor, you know, and, and people will lend their advice. They will do it, you know, um, but that, that certainly has helped me, I think, in the past um, is, yeah, being very upfront about you're in a busy zone for the next two hours, I can't be disturbed. And then, yeah, venting to someone in a different department can help you know um yeah well the, the, the end of this question it's a quite a big question and on these we're going to break this episode into another two parts so there'll be four parts in total but we've still got one two three probably three or more four more topics to get through but this question we spoke about it off camera was a big one so we just need to try our best to keep it short answer wise so i'm going to give it to you silly and well i yeah and, this one obviously is the that less than a minute try and give me an answer i'm going to ask you and you can ask me well, give me is, your yeah. answer Less than a minute, all right? Yeah, the answer is like, if, if you had unlimited resources, like what would you do to help mental health? It's kind of like the, the million dollar question. However, if you were to simplify it, I'm thinking of you guys with the NHS, right? With the NHS, you can walk in off the street, because I even did this before. I got pissed in Nottingham many, many years ago, split my head open, and then I walked into an NHS. They saw me, stitched me up and sent me off like that. Wasn't billed for it. Now that is amazing, right? Obviously, Ireland and England had like a, a close relationship in terms of reciprocal health. But I think you should be able to go in just straight off the street, no matter where you are. Like, and in Australia, we have this thing called bulk billing, which is amazing. We have Medicare over here. So you get a card if you're a citizen and you have PR and you can go into a bulk billing thing where you don't even get charged for a GP visit. You know, I think that should be set up in a way that's, open and, and approachable for people going if you're in a moment of um because that's like look please don't take anything i say here as medical advice or anything like that. 
But my theory about people, let's say, particularly when they take their own life is, yes, sometimes it can be or, um, premeditated, but I had a friend who lost his life and he spent a weekend with us at a music festival and had the best time ever. You know, won't lie, we got on it. You know, as you imagine, we got home, I dropped my bags off and an hour later I got a phone call saying he, he took his life. Now, anyone that goes on two, three day benders will know you're in the worst place you possibly can be for at least 48 hours, right? Now, my belief is, and we didn't know he was struggling at all. He never said anything to anybody, not even his family. Um, and I didn't even, I learned afterwards that he had actually had a brother um, with an intellectual disability that didn't live at home, but he never shared that either. So he just didn't want to share parts about him. And unfortunately, my theory on him is that he probably got home, was in the worst place ever and just went, fuck it, that's it. And, and he was gone, never, and we never got him back. So, whereas if you flip that on the other side and think if he knew there was support there that he could get to, even independent support, like, I think that could be the answer, you know? Pathways are important and I think they will end into it. But if you really drum it down to people need to be comfortable to be able to walk in off the street into a, a mainstream GP and get immediate uh, support. And it's just about getting them through that day. Because anyone would tell you, even if you're depressed or things like that, and you can have the shittest day ever, the next day, you're never the same, whether it's better or worse. You're never the same on any one day, right? And it's that thing, if you can just get through that day, you know, when you're at your worst, the next day hopefully can be better, you know? So that's why that's my kind of two cents. I think if we can create an NH... Yeah, that's, a, that's unlimited, just to, just to caveat, that is unlimited resources. So I know people might be thinking, yeah, but that's not practical because then people can walk off the street with like any sort of thing, blah, blah. The question was having unlimited resources. So you've got unlimited people to visit the people, uh, unlimited doctors, unlimited professionals. Unlim that was well, a question. So that well, that, there is a cost to that because even the bulk billing costs the government money, right? So that's unlimited resources, as I'm saying. It's unlimited yeah, resource. Yeah. That was a question. So that's that would be your answer to that question. Yeah. For me, it would be more, I'd, I would, I, that'd be a great solution, mate. I agree with you. That's support. Another one I would look at is schools, youth. I would just go with, go back to the comment that you made on part one or part two regarding the IKEA thing. I would yeah. spend more resources, more energy, having more professionals, ensuring that the kids who are sponges are the ones who are setting the example. That is the next generation. Mm. That, that they're the ones who, if there's anything that adults will change for, it's they'll change for their children, or the better for their children. Yeah. So if they are seeing their children behave in a certain way, or the children's call, calling the parents out for behaving a certain way, or acting a certain way, or whatever it might be, like, oh, mum, you look sad, T talk to me. Like, if yeah. I, I can guarantee if I'm, a parent can say that to a parent often enough, they would eventually start to open up, or at least if they don't open up to them, realise I need to go and take action here because they're seeing me in this state. I don't want them to see me in this state. So I think having education or pra I mean, practical resources like we do with all children's um, education, make it fun, make it interactive, make it practical, make it gamified. I'm not a person to tell you how to do that, of course not, but there's a lot of smart people out there who've got who are experts in this area. That's where I'd put my my two cents. Yeah, look, if you were if we were to go real big and hairy about changing, I mean, um, the education system as a whole, like like, and it's not just about mental health, right? You think about all the things that we need in our life, like budgeting, financing, you know, um, how to cook, like, you know, um, even some form of exercise, things that like there's loads of things that like necessarily don't get done at an education level. Imagine having that life skill of being able to cope with your emotions. Like psychology 
I think everybody should, should do some form of psychology whenever you need it. I'm not saying all the time, every time, but psychology benefits you in so many different ways. And when you need it, it's great to tap into it. And sometimes your mental health can be circumstantial. You know, if you might lose somebody and you might need help in that moment and it could be a six week thing and that's all you need. And that's fine. Other, other times you have to do it every single week for a couple of years to get through things. But uh, yeah, as Gary said, like the youth is probably a good way to tap into it because as the Batir guy said, 75% of mental health conditions manifest before you turn 18. So if you're not addressing them before you turn 18, it's a lot harder to um, address an issue that you've got when you're a 35-year-old man you know, or a woman um, or a 50-year-old woman or a 50-year-old man than it is when you're a 12-year-old, you know, when you're learning as you're going. So yeah, I think that'd be good. But I think those, yeah, if, you, if, if that was brought in where you had almost like a counselor in a school maybe, whether there was a class on, on counselling or somewhere where people could go. Because I remember as a kid as well, like when I was getting bullied in primary school, I would know where to go. Like, and my mum had to step in and ring all the other parents and all that. And you know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it all got a bit like, you know. And, and when I started doing work later in life, only a few years ago, the coach I was working with made me go back and ring all those bullies and write letters to them, like to release that trauma. So that's like, if it's not, you know, if you don't look at it in the moment, you're carrying that shit around with you. I was for nearly 30 years. Like, what's that doing to you at a DNA level, at a health level, at a relationship level, you know, all these kind of things. Um, and if you don't like if people that aren't attuned with accustomed to getting help and psychology and all those kind of things, you're just going to carry that around forever. And then that can lead into things like alcoholism or cheating or drugs or whatever, because because you're trying to escape from whatever that thing is you've got, you know? So it certainly has helped me, I will say, personally. Okay, brilliant. Uh, well, the next, we've got a, probably two or three more topics. There is a few more other questions, but a lot of them have already been sort of spoken about. There's one about bullying, which we've, Neil's just been in a bit of detail about. There's one about self-confidence, which we spoke about in part one. Uh, there's a couple of good ones here, though. So the next one, one of them is really interesting, and I, it was a question I found interesting on Reddit. So the question says, or the worry was, I often find myself worried about how slow time seems to be going in the moment. But then when they look back at the time, they realise how quickly things have actually happened for themselves, and it makes them worry about how much they're missing out in the moment and the effect that's having on them mentally. Now, that is a, that's a, a, a cool question because I understand where I'm coming from, really say you're at work and it's dragging in or you're at an event, fun thing, not fun thing, and it feels like it's dragging in, you don't want to be there, or if you do want to be there, you feel like it's slow, but you're not really making the most of it, you're not being present, and then before you know it, you're like, how is it November already? I've not really done anything. So how do you enjoy being in the moment? It's a mm. big question, it's like the whole one, what makes you happy, which again, someone's asked as well. Being present, is there anything, Solly, that you would maybe, and this is, this is yeah. someone's worry, so again, this is just, is yeah. there anything you've experienced the same? Have you experienced the same thing in your own? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, um, especially when you're a business owner as well, you plow on, you, you, every day you get caught up in it and you just go through and you go to the next day, I need to get that, I need to make that sale, I need to get more money. And then all of a sudden, like I'm seven years into the business and often you don't take a stop to go, wow, geez, you're actually doing pretty good here, mate, or whatever it is. And it, it, what, what was coming out of that thought was accepting the wins uh, we're often quite bad at, at accepting the wins. Like I take the losses to heart, but 
you don't we don't i think generally we don't accept the wins well so what do you do there well you know i do think gratitude writing things down spending to the moment to reflect we spoke about the reviewing your day i thought that was a brilliant exercise for me because that just takes two minutes before you go to bed just sit down in the kitchen for a minute with a piece of paper and a pen review your day and go jesus i got through a lot today that will sink into your your consciousness um which i think is a very good practice to kind of to to do and um yeah because and then sorry the other thing i was thinking of gary was the episode that we did with uh, andrew uh, marsh the meditation practitioner and i've trained yep. in, in vedic meditation but he spoke about this thing called living in the now and uh, <laughs> he tried to explain oh, that was, and that was, was like a, a mad conversation that it was like an episode of inception he was like <laughs> He was like, you know, okay, we're in the now, now as we're speaking, but where were we 10 seconds ago, Gary, you know, and Gary goes, the past, and he goes, no, we were in the now 10 seconds ago. <laughs> so you're in the I now, that was... in the now, and it, it was like a vortex. I believe but, my mind that. Well, I think what I've heard before in this area is like, you know, if you struggle with anxiety and things like that, that's, that's worrying about the future. If you've got depression, it's usually worrying about the past, you know, the traumas. Yeah. Living in the now, and I've heard this lots of different um, practices and teachers from all different cultures. This isn't just a meditation thing, but if you live in the now and focus on the present moment that you're in right now, you can't focus about anything else. That's a, in essence what meditation is, right? You're focusing on something that's right now. If you focus and concentrate on that, where you're in now, all those other things don't come in. Or if they do come in, you can kind of bat them off. So I think trying to live in the now, I actually had it written up in my fridge for ages going, just focus on the now, focus on what you're, whatever it is you're doing right now, just think about that and just keep coming back to that. And you're not going to be able to stay there forever because something's going to pop with your head. Someone's going to send you a text message. You'll get triggered by something that's always going to be there. But if it does happen, just try and realign. Okay. Right now, though, I need to just, you know, whatever, do the washing. And that's just what I'm going to focus on now. Just focus on that, get through that, move on to the next thing. It seems so simple, but it has definitely helped me, I will say. Yeah, uh, there's only two. I'll just add not anything else to what you said because you've wrapped it up nicely. I, just two resources. Uh, oh, not resources. One would be Eckhart Tolle, the book, Power of Now. It's a pretty popular book. Um, a lot of people. A lot, a lot of it. people reference that in many episodes that we had. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good book. If, again, if you're not someone who reads, then fair enough. For you, but that's a good resource if you're someone who does read or an audio book, or even if you just Google some stuff and read some uh, maybe synopsis about it. But that's a resource like we'll send in there. The second thing is I don't know if you're a football fan, but a good quote: Jurgen Klopp always talks about from Liverpool, who's a Liverpool manager. He always talks about whatever you're doing, you do it a hundred percent. So that means when these players turn up to training, obviously, they have to be there 100%. They're not thinking about their family. They're not thinking about their holidays. They're thinking about training 100%. However, the same applies when they go home. When they go home, they think about that one thing 100%. They don't think about football. They don't think about their media expectations or mm. whatever else. They, he, he doesn't want to hear from them. That's family time. And then the same, again, when they, go, they won the Champions League and they went on the piss, he said the exact same thing. And remember what I said we do things 100%. So they went absolutely tonto. They went had a massive party. And he's like, this is a, this is what they're doing because we've decided at this point, be present at what you're doing at this moment and do it 100%. Yeah. So that's a really simple thing. I try and, I try and keep that in my own life. This is, again, it's hard, this is just words, but it is hard to do practically, but it's something yeah. I just kind of go, right, I'm sitting with my wife doing 
whatever I'm doing, just be here now because this goes pass. back to it goes back to what we're saying, right? We're saying a lot of things here, right? It's not about you guys learning all this, but the more this is the beauty of the awareness piece, right? Because this is all going to sink into your the back of your mind somewhere, and you might not it might not come back up again for six months or whatever, or it might come back up once and you go, oh yeah, and then you do it and then you forget about it. But that's okay. You've got it in your locker now and it will come back up. You'll be surprised how much this will come back in your everyday life. And the other analogy around all this is the eating the burger analogy. So I'm sure everyone will uh, relate to this where you're like hungover or you do something, you're like, fuck, I'm just going to get a burger. I had a shit day. You eat the burger and then about two bites into the burger, you start feeling guilty because you're eating a burger. I shouldn't be eating this. You know, I haven't trained for a few days. Blah, blah, blah. Now that's doing even more damage to you by the fact that you're actually guilting yourself about eating the burger. If you want to have a burger, fucking eat the burger. And when you eat the burger in that moment, enjoy every fucking morsel of it. And if afterwards you're like, right, I need to... Uh, do a training class tomorrow better so be it that's fine but when you're in the moment of eating that burger don't focus on what it's doing to you just focus on the fact that burger is good yourself you know yep good point mate um cool so try and um move on to the next topic a couple oh, more sorry, questions. There, was one, there was one other thing gary i was going to say um i don't know oh, <laughs> no sorry my wife just came in there i asked her to get me a coffee but she didn't she gave me a chocolate but no coffee i was like great um now the other thing is the one have you ever heard of one percent guy there's a guy with down syndrome in america his name is chris i can't remember his surname but i'll get his his instagram profile for the resources and he's a fucking absolute legend he came up with this one liner which has now made him world famous he's a triathlete and he was asked a question about like, why are y'all doing this or what's your goal? And he goes, my goal every day is to be 1% better than I was yesterday. And if you think about that, right? 1% is, is, is achievable, right? No matter what you're doing, if you go for a run today and do five kilometers and you do it in 10 minutes or whatever, if you run, what's, you know, 1% of that is probably five seconds quicker. You know, imagine if you did that consistently every day You'd be an elite athlete, like you know what I mean. I mean, see me, see me the the gym. So I, a lot of athletes I work with, typical, and you're probably guilty as yourself. Go to the gym, say you're doing a squat or something like that. You go in, you lift fifty kilos. Like cool. The next week you go fifty five. Next week you go sixty, and then you start going. You bounce up, like, and those percentages are like that's a ten, that's a twenty percent increase. It's a twenty five. I'm like, well, just slow down, right? What mm. will happen is in twelve weeks, if you keep doing that, you're going to hit a fucking brick wall, and you're going to be stuck at ninety kilos for like six months. You can't just keep going at that speed. However. Let's just take it back a second and just say 1%. So the exact same analogy, over a full year, it's much easier to lift 1% more, one kilo extra onto the bar. Say, just add one kilo onto the bar mm. for the next year. You'll be lifting 50 kilos more. Imagine that in two years, you'll be an elite power lifter at that point. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't even notice that weight going on the bar, but you can't do that. Why? Because naturally, as humans, we want to go, I want to add five kilos on. You want to do, let's go on a diet. I'm going to stop doing, I'm going to stop everything. I'm going to stop eating all the food I enjoy. I'm mm. not going to, I'm going to exercise every single fucking day. Mm. It's not sustainable. And over that change is too drastic, too soon. And yes, you can do it for six weeks. You get as quick changes, brilliant. But most people who go through these six week drastic changes, the drastic ones, within 10 weeks, they're almost back to where they were again because it's not sustainable. And I think that's the exact same, that 1%, because by the power of returns, over the course of 1% better versus 1% worse over a year, that gap is huge. If you put it on a chart, the gap would be monumental. 
Yeah. So I think that is such a small thing. And again, going back to what we spoke about in part one and part two, it's not about being one percent better than everything. Pick the one thing, the what just one thing even. You go, I, I want to try for the next next 28 days, get what one percent better at it. One percent better, which is yeah. nothing. The conversation just am I a little bit better or do I know a little bit more than I did yesterday? Yes, cool. I'm moving forward. And that's it. that's as simple as it can be. That's a win. That is a win. And it's about longevity there. Yeah. Um, I think that's how you make change. Like real change. Real, real change. Um, so I think moving on to the next question, there's only like two topics related, but we haven't already covered them. One would be um, oh, this is a big topic, a deep topic. So it's my biggest concern and worry that is that I've been having recently is losing the people closest to you and sometimes even having thoughts about dying and death. I struggle to comprehend that we're in an empty space after life and that we'll never have have the we'll never have another life again. To make me feel as ease and better about this, I have thoughts that we will reunite with our loved ones when that day comes. The thought of losing someone close to you really makes me worry as you don't know how long you have left with anyone. Now, that's a massive topic, but I've actually heard a few of my mates mention something um, especially if they got older and they've seen maybe their, their parents or their uncles or aunties mm. pass away or get sick. And especially for us, because we live far away from family, mm. it hits you a little bit more and you start to realise shit. Because you're younger, you think your parents are invincible or you're, you just think they'll be around forever and ever, ever. Then you start to do, start to come to terms with shit. They, they, they might not be around forever. Mm. Um, so this is a completely normal thought. Um, and, and can you relate to that at all, Sully? Yeah, I think it definitely hits home, especially as an, as an expat, as Gary was saying there, you know, and even not as an expat, like we've been living in Sydney, my wife's in Brisbane and her dad's not the best at the moment. He's got Parkinson's and we've moved up to Brisbane, you know, and I dragged my heels about that, you know, and then I, and she wants to be close to home, but we've been up there now a couple of months and he's still, he's doing okay, but you know, who knows, he could go at any time. You don't really know that he could live another 30 years. But, you know, I said to her the other day about all this, I was like, at least ne like now you can have comfort that you, you've spent, we've had this time with him. So whatever happens after this is, is kind of a bonus, you know? So yeah, it is, it is important to, to, you know, if I'm sure everyone has some scenario with their mom, with their sisters or something like that, or uncles where they have a fight, you know, you have a row and something like that. And it's the whole thing of like one day when you go to ring your parents, they're just not going to be there anymore. You know, that's something that I always kind of keep in the back of my mind. Um, I lost my granddad when I was spent the summer in New, in New York and he was the, my best mate. And I, he died when I was midair on the way home. And my dad picked me up in the airport and told me he was gone. And I was like devastated, you know, I was literally, and he lived in the same estate as me. So I was one day away from probably seeing him, you know. Um, but having said that, he went out with a heart attack. He was eating sausages, watching football. So it's like absolute belter, you know, like you, you, you couldn't pick a better way to go. And I think, you know, it does go back to that kind of living in the now, you know, it's just like cherish the moments, like take a moment to stop and just cherish who you've got in your, in your life, in your family. Tell yourself about it regurgitate it in the mirror you know gary you said before coming over the bridge saying like i'm grateful for this you know like do those moments because if you if you fill up your bank of uh what's the there's a phrase around it like your emotional bank if you put if you put deposits into your emotional bank they'll be there for you when you need them you know but also when you do lose someone going back to the grief thing 
grief is an, it, unfortunately is, is just an element that we're all going to face in some shape or form everyone's going to lose someone and if that does come don't be afraid to lean into the grief you know as what sally and uh, imogen said to us and whether that is you know having a a few more drinks than you normally would to get you through that moment it's it's different for all of us um, but it's an important part of life and you need to let those emotions in because if you push those emotions away and suppress them when you actually need to use them even with grief and sorrow like that's also not doing you good suppressing those emotions you know so you kind of just gotta let them in unfortunately <laughs>